0: Today on Light on the Hill.
1: God's word is real. God's word is true. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. And what God says is going to take place is going to take place. And we can trust in that. And we can even take the accuracy of the word of God and begin to use it to bolster up our faith in Him, knowing that what He says is true and will never go away from that truth. that peace only comes from you i have found that joy only comes from cause all i need is
0: Thank you for joining us today for Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. We're in the middle of a series entitled In the Volume of the Book, where we're going through the Bible with a focus on prophecy. Yes, even books like 2 Samuel have amazing prophecies, such as this one in chapter 4. Look what
1: it says in verse 4 of chapter 7. And it came to pass that at night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt. Even to this day I... Uh, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spoke I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel saying, why build you not me a house of cedar? Have I ever asked anybody to build me a house, David? You know, that's what he's basically saying. Now, therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over israel and i was with thee whithersoever thou wentest and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight and have made thee a great name like unto the name of the great men that are on the earth moreover i will appoint a place for my people israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time And and as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people in Israel and have caused thee to rest from all uh, thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee a house. And when thy days be fulfilled, that thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the thorn of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, uh, and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak to David. Now I want you to, to picture what happens here, right? David's all excited. Nathan tells him, go build the house. Nathan goes to sleep and hears from the Lord. And the Lord says, you erred. This is not what I wanted you to tell David. This is what I want you to tell David. And he basically tells David, look, you can't build the house. You got bloody hands. <laughs> it's impossible. Your son will be the person that builds the house, but it won't be you. But I want you to understand something, David. I'm going to build you a house. Now, this prophecy is very important. He basically says, look, David, from you, there will be one who rules from your bloodline in perpetuity. Now, David's probably not realizing this, but undoubtedly we are talking about the Messiah, right? Jesus that would sit on that throne, being a descendant of David. Now, what's substantial and important concerning this is to recognize what all of this actually means. It's important to recognize the implications of everything that is tied to this, right? Because when you stop for a moment to recognize what's actually being said, it's basically God saying that the Messiah is going to come through your bloodline and he is going to rule forever. Now, people get tripped up with this a lot, because the reason why they get tripped up with this is because Nathan tells David, hey, listen, I'm gonna build you a house and from your bloodline, they will rule in perpetuity. Now, if you stop for one moment to reflect what had happened with the nation of Israel, particularly the Southern Kingdom, it would make sense to know why every single king that ruled in the Southern Kingdom was a descendant of David. There was nobody that did not rule that was not a descendant of David. And of course, when you look at the Northern Kingdom and the split that had happened there and everything that had taken place, Every single king that ruled in the northern kingdom had no relationship to David whatsoever. And what was actually tragic was not a single one of them were godly kings. So this is what happens. David rules as he rules Um, He ends up uh, finishing the end of his rule with the life that he had beginning to slip away from him. When he dies, basically Solomon is the one that is appointed king of Israel. Solomon then becomes the king of Israel. And God, as God promised David, Solomon is the one that actually builds the temple. Right. But what's interesting about this was God said to David that the house was already built and it was the house that he had built for David and that would be that every single person that came after him would be of his bloodline and that final king that sat on the throne would be ruling in perpetuity. Now that becomes very puzzling and that's difficult because when you think about it things did not start to look good after Solomon died because when Solomon died he had a son whose name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam was of course the king of the last king of Israel when Israel was combined to together right when it was all 12 tribes he was the very last king of israel that ruled over all 12 tribes He didn't last for long because jeroboam came to rehoboam and said listen our people are oppressed this is not good we have to work extra hard you know um your dad tasked us really hard and rehoboam like a fool doesn't listen to the wise advisors that his dad had his dad happened to be the wisest man to ever rule on the face of the earth but he chose not to listen to the men that advised the wisest ruler on the face of the earth and he goes back to jeroboam and he says hey tough luck if you think my dad was hard I got more harshness in my little pinky than my dad had in his whole waist and you're gonna just you're gonna have to take it And, of course, Jeroboam says, no, we're not, and they basically leave. They split, and there's a massive civil war that ensues between them, and the kingdom is divided. And you've got the kingdom of the north, uh, oftentimes referred to as Israel, and, of course, the southern kingdom, which was referred to as Judah. It's a lot easier to talk about what comprised the southern kingdom simply because there were a lot less tribes in the southern kingdom. And, of course, for bonus points, can anybody tell me what tribes were part of the southern kingdom? Anybody? That's right, Judah Benjamin. You guys are always fast to say that, but then also remember there was a good amount of Levites that comprised the southern kingdom as well because it was the Levites that, of course, continued to manage the affairs of the temple as long as the temple was erect. So this is very interesting to note, and I think it's critically important because the role of the priest was preserved in the southern kingdom through David's kingly line, and I think that that's something important to recognize because what we find out later is, of course, the one who would rule in perpetuity, Jesus Christ does become not only the king, but also becomes the high priest. Right, and there is no priest that replaces him. He's the eternal priest. He's the eternal sacrifice. He's the eternal priest. He's the eternal everything. But it begins to get bad right when Rehoboam comes into play because the kingdom divides, and all the kings of the north are wicked rulers. You got twenty some odd kings. There's not a single dynasty represented in them. They're all killing each other. They're all taking over. They're all doing evil things. They're all doing wicked things. They're not good people. They're doing lots of unrighteous things, and that is the story of what happens with the nation of Israel right? That's what takes place. So Israel, because of its wickedness and its wicked kings, actually gets taken uh, into a place of complete annihilation and destruction by the Assyrians long before the southern kingdom actually expired. If you remember, the Assyrians came in and literally exiled, and in many ways just sort of uh, implicated and in many ways assimilated Israel. And this is actually why Jews to this very day hate Samaritans, because Samaritans were believed to be the product of uh, Jews that chose to intermingle themselves with the traders that were known as Assyrians. And of course, they made a whole life and culture of themselves. And this is why so many people hated the Samaritans, especially in biblical days, because Samaritans were the people that intermingled and actually allowed themselves to assimilate with the pagan, uh, the pagans represented by the assyrians and that's why the northern kingdom did not suffer nearly as much in the sense that they just allowed themselves to assimilate with the uh, assyrians and they began to live pagan lives Uh, continued on their tradition of living pagan lives and so the southern kingdom suffered way more because the southern kingdom was the longest and the last standing stronghold that existed so by the time nebuchadnezzar came in on the ninth of av 586 bc and completely destroyed jerusalem it was a terrible terrible tragedy by the way there was another uh, general that came in uh, Nebuchadnezzar, of course, being one of the first generals that we read about. But there was another general that came in on the 9th of Av 70 AD, right, whose name was Titus, who also destroyed the temple on that day. Kind of an interesting picture. And there's lots of other things um, Uh, in the history of Israel that we can learn about in that specific day. There's something demonic tied to that day, quite frankly. But it is interesting when you think about the things that actually happened, and when you stop for a moment to reflect upon the implications of all of that, you begin to see the prophetic elements tied in through and through completely, all throughout. So. Let's go back and talk about what happened with the southern kingdom. So you had Rehoboam who became the king. He was the one that was responsible for the splitting of the whole kingdom. And there was king after king after king after king, all descendants of David. And I I do think that it should be noted that there were many righteous kings that came after David and came after Rehoboam, but there were many that weren't. And some of the righteous kings did good for the nation and the ones that were unrighteous did not do good for the nation. And some of the stories uh, that related to many of these kings were pretty amazing. You had some that were just brutally wicked kings that actually finished well. You had others that started really well but finished terribly. Uh, but you, you look at all of the stories that kind of lead up to all of these situations and you begin to realize something unique and powerful here. And that is the prophecy that was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is one that is alive and well today. If you think about it, think about it like this, folks. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, in 586 BC and completely destroyed everything understand Daniel would have been taken away in the first of the three sieges right there were three sieges that were executed by uh Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and if you remember uh, when those sieges took place you had one that was one in 605 BC then the next one would have been 595 BC and then the one after that would have been 586 BC the 586 one was the final one that was the one that pretty much uh destroyed Jerusalem which caused uh Jeremiah to lament. and that's where we get the book of lamentations from but what's really interesting about this is in the first siege if you kind of want to know and place things historically wise in the first siege that's when the prophet daniel was taken away and daniel had every reason to be bitter and he had every reason to be angry because daniel would have been tied to the royal family so daniel was undoubtedly a member of the bloodline of king david he had to have come from that bloodline and when you stop for a moment to reflect upon the idea that daniel Daniel was used so greatly by God in the midst of a series of things that should have left him bitter and angry, it begins to help you develop your worldview on how you should be treating things in the political arena, right? Because Daniel was by far one of the most political prophets that existed. But when you stop to reflect upon even that, you realize all prophets in the Bible were political. Every single one of them interacted with political leaders with the exception of potentially Enoch. And that's because we don't know much about him. We do know he was a prophet but we don't know that much about him but all the other prophets in the bible including moses who was understood to be a prophet interacted heavily with political leaders right so the idea that we're supposed to be removed from politics is a satanically inspired idea it's not one that comes from the lord it's actually one that's very evil with all of that said understand that after daniel's time there was no king Israel had lost its national identity for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes, there were remnants in the land and there were other things that were going on. And then finally, when the Romans came into picture, a lot of people thought that Israel was well on its way up. They were living in their land again and things were beginning to happen. Herod had built the temple. All of these wonderful things had taken place, but Israel still had not had a king, right? Israel's king had not existed. As a matter of fact, in the book of Genesis, it says that the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And what was very interesting was when the right to capital punishment was taken away from the Jews by the Romans, it was perceived as being the beginning of the end for the Jews. The Jews believed at that moment that the right to capital punishment being taken away, was the scepter actually departing from Judah, but yet in their minds, Shiloh had not come. What they did not realize was in a little town very close to Jerusalem, by the name of Bethlehem, there was a young one that was born who was the chosen one. He was the one that God brought into this world. He was the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Still is the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, right? But the reality of it is nobody perceived that, understood it, recognized it because they were so blinded by the circumstances and the devastation that was around them that it kept them from really truly understanding what really was actually happening. So this promise was made. By the way, You understanding this is so critically important because you're not gonna understand the gospels if you don't understand this. You're not gonna understand the prophecies that we find in the Psalms if you don't understand this. You're not gonna understand the prophecies of the kings and of the chronicles. You're not gonna understand so many other things if you don't understand the phrase son of David. You're not gonna understand the implications of all of it if you don't realize the promise that was made here, a beautiful prophecy, by the way, in 2 Samuel, regarding the king that is a descendant of David that will rule in perpetuity. Of course, we know who that king was. That king, make no mistake about it, is Jesus Christ, right? I think this is very, very important, folks. Really, really important. Now, There are lots of other areas that we could get into that cover Bible prophecy in the book of 2 Samuel. If you go a little bit further in the 2 Samuel, you can get into the prophetic elements that related to David's willful decision to sin against God, Right when David did what he did with Bathsheba. If you remember David was a real evil person in what he did, right? He saw Bathsheba, he wanted to have sex with her. He brought her into the castle. He actually had a sexual relationship with her. He got her pregnant and in an attempt to cover himself up for the pregnancy that had uh, happened, he pulled his this woman's husband from the battlefield into Uh, the home front and tried to get him to have a sexual relationship with his wife. He wouldn't do it because he felt like all of his soldiers were still out there fighting and he would not participate in anything like that. So he slept out on his porch that night. Then he got put back into battle by the king and the king had him executed so that he could immediately marry Bathsheba and then cover up the pregnancy that had taken place. And David very likely thought that he had gotten away with it until he was confronted by the prophet who basically said, dude, you're, you're guilty and you're evil. And of course, David uh, acknowledged that. And David said, yeah, I'm busted. But he was clearly heartbroken, not because he got busted. He was heartbroken because he realized how evil of a thing that he had done, which is why he was called a man after God's own heart. But the thing that is so interesting that comes with all of that are the blessings and the curses that followed all of that, right? And when you stop for a second to think about all of the things that had actually happened, you begin to realize that even in the cursings that God declared upon members of David's family, you begin to realize something very unique and very, very powerful. And that is the fact that God, even in his judgment, brought out an element of grace, right? Look at some of the judgment that got declared upon David, right? One of the things that came across as a judgment on David was in 2 Samuel chapter 12 because David sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan actually said that the sword would not depart from David's house and his wives would be violated. This was, of course, fulfilled. We know that, right? later on, and if you go through chapter 15 through 20 of Second Samuel, you'll see that that's exactly what happened. There was lots of violence in David's life, and, and his wives actually were exploited, right? It was not a good uh, uh, situation. And then, of course, in, in chapter 12, as I would mentioned, uh, one of the other punishments upon David because of what he did with Bathsheba is that his child would die, that his son would die. By the way, for those of you that have a little baby, that has gone to be with the Lord and you wonder whether or not your child is in heaven or maybe you aborted a baby, right? Maybe you you fall in that place where I want you to just know right off the bat, right? You're a Christian. Now God has forgiven you. So you don't have to beat yourself up over it. But understand if you're wondering where that baby is, you can find peace in knowing that that baby is with the Lord right because this passage that we read where David's son actually died because God had put that judgment upon the baby because of David's sins we know we get an indicator from that story where babies go when they die right it's a pretty powerful indicator of what was actually happening and what would actually take place right and then of course when later on when we get into second samuel near the very end you see a, a shining picture of the grace of God where God actually promises Um, you know, the fact that Solomon would eventually uh, build the temple and the fulfillment of that prophecy actually takes place. It's very interesting to see how that all worked out. But guys, I want you to understand something because this is very important and this is significant. I don't want it to be something that is removed from you. The more you dig into all of these prophecies that were given to David, especially the better familiar you become not only with the history of the nation of Israel, but the more familiar you become with the movings of the Messiah. Okay, and I'll give you an example of this and we'll get into it later. Today is not the day where we talk about this, but kind of a closing thought. There is a descendant of David that ends up getting cursed, right? And that descendant is actually told that every single person that came from his loins, right? Anybody in his bloodline would be cursed by God. Well, there's a problem there, isn't there? Because if Jesus came from the bloodline of David, then how in the world... Could that even be the case? Well, God answers that question for us in the story of Matthew. When we look at the bloodline that led to David, right? When you look at Joseph, you realize something very quickly, and that is Joseph's bloodline came from the very same line where there was a cursing. So how in the world could Jesus come from that? Well, really simple. Mary did not conceive the Lord. The Lord was not conceived in Mary having a sexual relationship with Joseph, right? We know that the Lord was conceived that Jesus was sired by the Holy Spirit. So that is exactly how you could have a descendant of David that was part of the cursed line still be that earthly father to Jesus. And when you look at the bloodline involved in Mary... She also is a descendant of David, but she is a descendant of a son that was not tied to the bloodline that was cursed. So when you look at the family tree, you begin to realize she isn't in the line of those that were cursed, even though Joseph was, but Joseph did not inseminate Mary, So it proves that Jesus had to have been who the Bible prophesied he would be. And if you weren't familiar with those Bible prophecies, you wouldn't know this. You wouldn't have the definitive evidence that you needed to be able to establish the reality of who the Messiah is. And by the way, that's not where this stops because you understanding the core of everything that I've taught you here in first and second Samuel is going to be great, greatly helpful to you from the very moment we start the book of Revelation. You are going to understand so much more going through Revelation. Actually, you'll you'll understand so much more going through other passages as well. You'll understand Ezekiel better. You'll understand Daniel better. There's a lot of other things that you'll actually begin to understand a whole lot more clearly understanding the history of the nation of Israel through the eyes of the blessings and cursings of God and through the the prophecies being declared by God. So a lot of information here, folks. We next week get into 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Um, Very interesting stuff there. A lot that we're going to be going over collectively, but I think it's going to be very interesting uh, for you guys. I think you're going to be blessed by everything that we discuss and get into. Um, I know, a bit of an earful, but good stuff, right? And here's the one thing that we can walk away with knowing this, right? God's Word is real. God's word is true. What God says is going to happen is going to happen. And what God says is going to take place is going to take place. And we can trust in that. And we can even take the accuracy of the word of God and begin to use it to bolster up our faith in him, knowing that what he says is true and will never go away from that truth. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Pastor James Cadiz on Light on the Hill and part of our series in the volume of the book. We're going from Genesis to Revelation, emphasizing the many passages pertinent to Bible prophecy. You can access today's study and any part of the series you may have missed online at lightonthehillradio.com or listen to Pastor James through the Light on the Hill app. Are you enjoying Light on the Hill? Send us an email and let us know the station you listen to and what you're getting out of these programs. It means a lot and helps us see what God is doing through the radio and internet ministries. There's a place to contact us at our website, lightonthehillradio.com. If the Lord leads, we'd also appreciate your financial partnership. Each gift that comes in goes straight to the ministry, helping us to get the word of God out on stations and platforms like this one all across the country. Donate online at lightonthehillradio.com or give through the Light on the Hill app. Have you seen the live shows and daily videos that we release on social media? Many of them relate to Bible prophecy and help understand current events with a biblical worldview. You'll find them at Jamescadiz.com. Let's finish our time in prayer now with Pastor James
1: right father in heaven we just thank you lord for your word and the many things lord that you continue to show us and teach us lord you are so good to us and we thank you for that goodness lord we thank you for the demonstration of all that is good lord in our lives so father will you just go before us continue to keep us looking to you seeking you always putting you first lord may we be people who uh continue to walk in excitement about what your word declares in terms of the last days and what we should be expecting so keep us lord always thinking about these things remembering, Lord, what your word says and living for you with all of our hearts. So Lord, we love you and thank you. We look to you and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: We'll get back to our series in the volume of the book next time on Light on the Hill with Pastor James Cadiz. This program is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Signal Hill online at lightonthehillradio.com and jamescadiz.com. That peace
1: only comes from you, I have found, that joy only comes from me. cause
0: all I need is